This is your Friday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Thanks again for joining me on another edition of the show. Been having a fun week so far. Should be good stuff next week as well. And then a little programming note after next week. Going to take a little time off. No shows the week after next. And then not on the 4th of July either. So six weekdays in a row of uh, of no daily delivery. So plan <clears throat> your schedules accordingly. Not like you plan your whole life around this podcast. I'm probably the only person in the world who does that. Because I have to make this podcast. But... um. Just wanted you to be aware of that. Should be some good shows next week. Some Title IX 50-year anniversary um, content coming your way next week. NBA Draft next week. Should have a Kobe Jones interview on the podcast next week as well. Speaking to Kobe later today, and we'll use that on, on a show next week. So a lot of good stuff coming up a week from now. Today... Plenty of good stuff as well. Going to get to the Golden State Warriors winning the NBA title. I predicted Warriors in six. I'm not usually right about things like that, but before the playoffs even started, that was my prediction for the NBA Finals Warriors in six. I had them over the Bucks, so that was wrong, but I got the team and the number of games correct. I believe I even predicted Steph Curry Finals MVP, although that is not a tough thing to do if you believe the Warriors are going to win in six, that would be pretty likely. Anyway, we'll get to to that journey for them, how it maybe relates to another local basketball team. Um, Kent Youngblood joined me here in a little while as well to talk Lynx 3 and 12. We concluded that pretty much everything that could go wrong has gone wrong for this team this year. Tried to figure out what could go right going forward and what they need to kind of what what they need to do, um, how, you know, should they sharpen their focus on next year already, or or what is the plan right now for that team? Also talked Gophers women's basketball with Kent because he does a great job covering both of those teams. Uh, the Gopher women started summer workouts this week. A lot of optimism with those four very talented Minnesota freshmen now on campus. Going to get to a little bit of World Cup soccer talk. They've picked the cities for the 2026 World Cup, World Cup sites here in the United States. And uh, we'll get to a little bit of future NBA odds as well. But first, what did I miss? Going to want to take a moment here. There's no Twins game last night. Yesterday, Twins had an off day as they traveled from Seattle to Arizona for the series that starts today. Um... But there was an interesting thing in ESPN.com the other day, just kind of looking at, you know, with the trade deadline, you know, out there a ways, about six weeks off, but still, you know, teams starting to take shape now. Most teams have played, you know, more than a third of their schedule at least, going get, to gonna get up onto the halfway point before we know it, probably by the end of this month or so. They did a piece on what teams might be doing at the trade deadline, and caught my eye you know they kind of divided the teams into tiers in terms of how likely they would be to be adding players at the deadline or subtracting players at the deadline and they had the the White Sox in the likely to add category um, and the Twins in the possible to add so lower than that and Cleveland uh, which has been better than the White Sox this year in the could go either way category 
So the three teams that are really contending in the AL Central, the Twins obviously still leading the division, but just by two games now. I don't know if you guys have been watching the standings quite as closely as I have. Cleveland's been playing quite well lately, 8-2 and two in their last 10. All of a sudden, they're 32 and 27, actually ahead of the Twins in the loss column, which is weird. Twins 37 and 28, they've played six more games than Cleveland. Um, White Sox have been playing a little bit better lately, too. They are just a game under 500 at 30 and 31, just five games back of the Twins, still certainly within distance with you know so much of the season left to play, about 100 games uh, for all of these teams left to play. Um, but the reasoning they had for the White Sox being likely to add was interesting to me, basically, is that they're kind of in win-now mode. They wrote, really, what else could the White Sox do? They have a 77-year-old manager and an 86-year-old owner and play in a division unlikely to feature a runaway winner. Disappointing as the White Sox have been, their time is now. Chicago needs a stretch of relative health and hope that a roster full of underperformers will regress. I think they mean progress in times in time to offer clarity on what the club will target around the deadline. So that's interesting to me. Um, I think that's it's pretty spot on. I don't, I don't think that's wrong, but it's also interesting to think of the team that's third in the division right now being the more likely to add. But, you know, sometimes it doesn't matter. Sometimes your position in the standings is less important than your ambition. And I do believe that it is correct that Chicago does believe it is ready to win right now, was in the postseason just a year ago, winning the AL Central with 90-plus wins. So that was interesting to me. The Twins in the possible adders category, even though they are the favorites to win the division right now, um, they note here that the Twins maybe lost lost a chance to build a bigger lead in the AL Central because of some injuries in the last few weeks. It says, while the Twins still are probably a mild favorite in the division, it's not out of the question that they collapse because of the injuries or more likely they get healthier and set themselves up to plug a few holes, beginning with another reliable high-leverage reliever or two. Now, in my estimation, that is correct in terms of what they might be looking to buy. This is a team that kind of went into the year with expectations that were all over the map, right? That Maybe internal expectations were higher than our own expectations, but because of so many roster moves, because of last year's 89 losses, there was not this sense of, hey, this team is here in 2022 trying to win, ready to win. And their first 65 games have probably changed that narrative to the point where now you're like, okay, what could they add to help this team win? And I think the bullpen is absolutely the place to look. They traded their most reliable relief pitcher right before the season started, Taylor Rogers, which maybe tells you a little bit about how they were thinking about 2022 relative to 2023 and beyond because Rogers might have walked after this year because he can become a free agent and probably an expensive one at that. Um, so that was interesting to me just to think about how they maybe thought about their own fortunes, not like they didn't get anything back for him. They they thought they were getting a reliable starting pitcher in Chris Paddock, and then he broke down right away, needed Tommy John surgery. He should help in future years. And then Emilio Pagan has been useful, albeit a roller coaster for a lot of the year, but effective in terms of just getting, you know, getting through innings with minimal damage, even with a lot of base runners. So long story short, they could certainly use some more relief pitchers. I don't think they're going to collapse at this point. I think maybe we've seen enough body of work, even if it's been a little bit fragile, but I think that's right that relief pitchers 
don't cost as much at the deadline as other you know as other position players as other starting pitchers do sometimes just because you know they're the, the commodity especially if they're expiring contracts that's it's not as, as hot of a commodity and the volatility of relievers makes teams less likely to want to hold on to them for multiple years so I'll be watching for that. Just think about that as you think about the AL Central race and contextualize it as we go forward. Are the Twins going to be adding pieces? I I hope they do because I think this is a team that, you know, while is certainly not in the caliber of the very best in the majors, did hold their own in in playoff in you know in, in playoff like series recently against New York, Toronto, and Tampa Bay, three teams that are likely to be in the postseason and could in fact be postseason opponents for the twins so pay attention to that think about the twins in the context of what they might be looking to add in the next six weeks or so evaluating that roster and seeing where they might ultimately land when we get to october take a playcation to mystic lake for 24 7 gaming fun restaurants and bars and luxurious hotel rooms and join club m to bask in the rewards Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. I am glad to be joined by Kent Youngblood today on Daily Delivery. Covers women's basketball for the Star Tribune, among other things. Um, But he definitely covers the Lynx and the Gophers women's basketball team. And I want to talk about both of those things on today's show with you, Kent. Um, One, a decidedly not-so-upbeat story. And I'd say the Gophers women's basketball team on the other side of the spectrum. Um bringing some optimism into summer workouts with all the talented freshmen now on campus. But we do need to start with the Lynx. 3-12, and 12, um, they've lost to good teams. They've lost to bad teams. Um, they've lost a lot, a lot more than we are ever accustomed to see them lose, at least in the last decade, at least during the Cheryl Reeve era. Um about everything that's gone wrong or could go wrong has gone wrong. But from your perspective, covering all these games, is there what what's the what's the theme? What's the mood? And and how surprised are they to be three and twelve right now? Well, I think uh, I think we talked about this before. It all stems back to, I guess, in retrospect, gambles they made before the season even started. They thought that Angel McCautry would regain a semblance of her past form, and they thought that. Alicia Clarendon would be the player they had last year. And as training camp progressed and neared its end, it was a very short camp because of the compressed schedule, it became pretty clear that neither – that McCautry was clearly not back. And you couldn't guarantee a contract for a veteran who you didn't know was going to be back. And that, at the very least, Clarendon was deemed fragile enough that you couldn't gamble – on them being available for an entire season. And in a year where you're only going to really have 10 active players anyway, that was too big a gamble. So they started the season basically on their back foot with two very key players not available. And uh, they've been scrambling to find a healthy, competent, proficient point guard ever since. And even when they found one, I think in Mariah Jefferson, she missed some games with an injury. Um, Now, Sylvia Fowles is out indefinitely with a knee cartilage injury. And so uh, pretty much everything that, you know, could go wrong has, with the possible exception that Nafisa Collier has a very healthy, happy baby. Yes, she does. That is, uh, that is certainly good news. Do we, has she, have we heard anything more about 
possibly playing this year, or is that still not a decision that's been made yet? That's not a decision that's been made. I know nothing about the toll it takes to have a child or what the expected uh, recovery time is from that, but it's only been, it's been less than a month and uh, yes. What, three weeks. I wouldn't dare venture a guess on that. I think, I think if he wants to, if she's capable, but, um, but there's been no decision there. Any, and that might be, and that, you know, that might also be, you know, her main reason for wanting to come back is to play with Syl a little bit. And so Syl's help will probably pay, play a very large role in, in how that works out. Right. And they've characterized Fowl's injury as out indefinitely, which is a shame on a number of fronts. I mean, she was, you know, when things even were, when they were losing a lot at the start of the year, she was still playing very well by and large. And this is her farewell tour. At least that's how it's been framed that this is her final season. Do they, I mean, out indefinitely, obviously that means could be two months, could be the whole season, could be a few weeks if they get good prognosis. But I mean, I would think she's motivated to try to play again this year if it's her last year, but you don't want to mess with the knee. So it's kind of, it's got to be a tricky one for them, especially when they're already three and 12 and, you know, far back, even in a league that sends eight of 12 teams to the playoffs. Yeah. They're still only a few games out of a playoff spot. Um, but boy, I tell you, the league is it's way more balanced than it was even five years ago. Um, there's a lot of talent in this league, even on the teams that have losing records. I, I think making up ground would be difficult. Um, with the, with fouls, my sense is she will do everything possible to get back on the court. Um, I know she got a plasma-rich injection. I think that's what they call it, in the knee. And uh, maybe that will prove helpful. My sense when this all came down, it was like a two-, three-week thing. Um, but there really haven't been any updates as far as the next, it's still indefinite. It's still indefinite. How, how is the head coach and general manager handling three and 12? Cause this, like I said, 11 straight years of playoffs and she's not only responsible for coaching this team, but assembling this roster, this has got to be tough for her to Cheryl Reeve to go through. Yeah, I, I think it probably is. Uh, after they lost, uh, not this last time, but the game before she didn't come out post game. She sent right. Katie Smith out, but, you know, and maybe as heir apparent and associate head coach, she wants Katie to get the opportunity to do that. Or maybe there was frustration involved. They really didn't say, but I think it's pretty tough. It's, it's gotta be pretty tough when you're used to success. Um, I think she was encouraged by the effort that they showed against Seattle. I was like, for, in my opinion, was the first game that they showed real uh, emotion and effort for four quarters. It's a pretty good team, and they played them to within two points. I think that's encouraging, but when you start kind of running the periphery of uh, moral victories, that just shows how far things have gotten here. Yes. Um, fi- final thought on that team before we – transition a little bit into some Gophers women's basketball talk. I mean, like you said, it's, it's a, you know, there's still plenty of season left and, you know, there's enough teams near the bottom that it's not out of the realm of possibility to get back into a playoff race, probably way too soon to start thinking about tanking for this player, tanking for that player. I know everybody's obsessed with Paige Beckers and could she come out 
for the 2023 draft. And yes, she would be eligible for that draft based on her age and classification, but I'm sure they're focused more now on trying to win. If they are going to stack up some wins, what, what within their current framework gives you any kind of, should give them any kind of optimism that that could happen? Well, let's see. Nicolina Millich has been kind of a surprise on the offensive end, shown some ability to score in the paint at the four position. I'm still not sold on the defense. Uh, Mariah Jefferson is healthy again and played probably her second, first or second best game of the year for the Lynx against Seattle. If she can start hitting those mid-range shots regularly, that'll, that'll open things up. Uh, and both McBride and, and uh, Howard said that the team really kind of came together chemistry-wise during that game. I think they learned some things about what it takes to, to beat a good team in that game. Uh, we'll see if that's the case. I mean, it's going to be hard to tell Sunday against first place Las Vegas. Um, but, you know, the, the one thing that's kind of interesting about the Lynx, and you can you notice this back in the bubble season when still missed all but a handful of games with a calf injury, is that their offense is fairly efficient without her at times. There's space available to players that, you know, that are whose game is kind of built built on getting inside and maybe operating from there that maybe there isn't room for when Sills there. Um, you know, the offense played pretty well against Seattle and Seattle's one of the best defensive teams in the league and they shot 50% against them. Um, I think it was only the first time in like 140 or so games since 2011 that they held an opponent under 40% shooting and lost. Or was like okay. only the fifth time in about 140 games that they held. And that was because Seattle hit so many threes. But the offense is intriguing without Sill because it becomes more of a, kind of a high post passing cutting type offense. And I don't think people should despair offensively. Now they'll never make up for, for what still does in the defensive rebounding department, but it's offensively, they, they have shown that they can be capable without her. One person who um, was there for a lot of the glory years for the links, all of them, as a matter of fact, Lindsay Whalen now, of course, coaching the Gopher women's basketball team. She has to be pretty optimistic this time of year. I did talk to her a couple of weeks ago out at the coach's caravan, had her out on the show um, from, from there. Um, but you know, they, they get the four, you know, the four newcomers and the, and the, and the transfers, you know, uh, in, in now for, for summer practice. Um, you know, like she was saying before, this is, you know, kind of new from when she was playing, they didn't used to have all this official or official summer time together, but it's really good, especially when you have this class of, players coming in. I mean, expectations are going to be very high. I, I still don't know how much we should expect right away versus give this some time, but it's got to be a time for optimism for them right now. Yeah. Um, I think people, you know, you hear top 10 recruiting class, ESPN's highest ranked class in the big 10. And you think bad four, let's go. Um, and, you know, I haven't seen them play together. I don't know how they're going to react. I don't know. But I do know that the Big Ten is a big physical league, and it's not the easiest place in the world for freshmen to succeed, um, unless you're, you know, Caitlin Clark. Uh, but this, uh, this group is interesting. It, um, it's very athletic. Uh, one thing I was struck by when I talked to them the other day after their first practice was how kind of long and lanky these players are. 
Uh, Mara Braun is a legitimate six foot with long arms. I mean, they haven't really had a, they haven't really had a, a good point guard with height in a long time. And, and that sounds like it's a silly thing, but I mean, they finally have somebody who can see over the <laughs> defense and maybe can head man the ball. You know what right. I mean? I mean, uh, and, and they have a, uh, they have a battle who is, a, I think, a great mid-level scorer. Um, and uh, Holloway is, is, I guess, one of the more athletic players you're going to find. I mean, I just – in higher – I mean, I just think that it's, it's, it's going to be fun to watch them. But what was most what was kind of most optimistic was Monday was the first time they had talked, and we asked them about how they felt about watching all these players leaving the Gophers during the transfer portal at time. And, you know – they were steadfast in saying that they were committed here and they wanted to create a, a culture here where people wanted to come. They weren't phased by it at all. I thought that was kind of cool. You know, they're, they bonded as friends. They live together, the four of them in a four bedroom apartment, just off campus. Um, it'll be one, it'll be fun to watch them grow, but uh, this is a very, this is going to be a very important training camp this fall. I mean, there's only three returning players. You know, there's uh, nine new faces that all have to learn how to play together. It'll be very interesting. It's just got to be, I, I can't remember a time, you know, when either one of the teams and maybe, maybe I'm thinking of like, you know, when the men's basketball team had Roy, Royce White and I think Trevor Mabakwe and Rodney Williams all coming in at the same time, those guys were all local, but just all, you know, all four of these women are, you know, suburban Minnesota high school players just to get an entire class that good right from Minnesota does, you know, I don't think it's going to happen. It doesn't happen every year. It might not happen every five years. It might be a once in a decade thing where you have a class that good and you can get all of them to come. But this is kind of, this was kind of the idea when Lindsay Whalen was hired that she could get this caliber of in-state recruits. So that piece of it's got to be gratifying to her and to those players. Yeah, it, it, it is. And it, the, 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 the tough thing is, is that, Lindsay has struggled at times as a coach. This team has not made an NCAA tournament yet. It's made two WNBI, WNIT uh, appearances, but they have yet to post a winning record in Big Ten play. And I, I do get the sense sometimes that there are some people losing a little patience there. I think it's kind of silly, but they are. And, and so I think there's going to be a lot of, with expectation comes pressure. I think it's going to be a lot of pressure for this team to perform well because of the class that they have and the fact that people have been waiting for this for so long, I just hope that there's patience to allow these kids to develop. And I, I hope they stay healthy. Um, they have a, they have a non-conference schedule, I think kind of built to allow a team to come together early. I think there are some wins there early that, that you, that you can get. Um, but it is, I think a very, it's a very important season for Lindsay and the Gophers, I think. Yeah, I, mean, I think they need to show a certain amount of progress. I don't think everyone's expecting, you know, Sweet 16 or even necessarily NCAA tournament this year, but they need to show a tangible amount of progress and show that these four players are, you know, not just, you know, Big Ten caliber players, but have, you know, have the makings of a team that can that can do some things as they get a little bit older, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I do. And you were talking about, you know, how rare this class is. I mean, there's all, you know, the probably the, what a lot of people thought was the best player in the state. And I can't remember her name now, but she was battles teammate at Hopkins is going to Arizona. So this was a great class, but you know, and we've written about this quite a lot, especially as recently as the final four, the youth girls basketball in the state is producing a lot of talent. Um, 
and it's become a year by year thing. I mean, Paige was the best, was the best recruit in the country. Um, uh, there's a couple of kids uh, that have already committed one to Stanford, I think in next year's class. I mean, there's, there's three or four, five, six kids who are going to be power five division one players. They're just becoming an every year event. And you have Olivia Olson kind of, I think the second or third best recruit in her class. And, and so, I mean, this, this state is producing talent to the extent that if you can get two or three of the top five players every year, you can field a pretty competitive team. Now with uh, transfers, eight of the 12 players on the Gophers team right now are Minnesotans. Yeah. Um, and I think that if, I think that if a team that was built significantly with Minnesota players had success, I think it would be a very, I think it would be a very successful draw by fans. If it got to a point where it was competitive and many of the players were kids that fans had seen playing high school. I think that would create some synergy as far as interest. Yep. I agree with that. I mean, that was, you know, when, when Lindsay Whalen was here, a lot of those players were Minnesotans. Obviously, Janelle McCarville was from Wisconsin, but a lot of the other key players on those teams were Minnesota players, you know, players like Shannon Bolden, Shannon Schoenrock, you know, uh, Jamie Broback. Those were all, uh, those were all Minnesota players so you know it is it is possible we'll just see if it uh, it does play out that way can't good stuff we'll be reading about the links see if they can turn this season around and very interested to see how that gophers women's basketball team fares this year and once they get things started a little later in the fall till then enjoy a little downtime and we'll we'll catch you again soon all right all right thanks a lot good stuff from can't young blood and you kind of thinking about the links a little bit this season and then thinking about the Golden State Warriors winning the dub, uh, winning the NBA title here on uh, on Thursday night does bring about a little bit of a cautionary tale with the Lynx about okay is the dynasty over are they just finished now that they're three and twelve gotta remember two years ago Golden State went fifteen and fifty they everything that could go wrong went wrong right they they were coming off of um, a finals appearance but. Kevin Durant had gotten injured in that in those finals and then left in free agency. Clay Thompson got injured in those finals and was out for the year. Steph Curry got hurt early in the season. Draymond Green was limited that year. I mean, take away the best players, like the superstar players from every team. They are going to struggle, and that's what happened with Golden State. And maybe a little bit of that is happening with the Lynx right now. You talk about every single good player of theirs has either been has either missed time or has been ineffective in stretches. Um, maybe the cupboard isn't quite as bare as it seems right now, just because everybody um, they just haven't had the benefit of having a lot of their best players on the court at the same time. They're still trying to figure things out on the fly. So I'm I'm we're not giving the Lynx a free pass on this season, but I don't think that you can just say. This is how it's going to be forever. It, the players on the court matter a whole lot. So maybe think about that as we think about what the links could be like next year as well. Talking a little bit more about Golden State and the future here. Um, yeah, it's it, they've been installed as NBA uh, Finals um, likeliest team to win in the finals next year already as well. And maybe for good reason. I mean, everybody, every core player is under contract for next year. They've got some interesting decisions to make. We've talked through, you know, the Andrew Wiggins decision. He has only got one year left on his contract. Does he stay or go? Was such an important player for them in these finals, kind of playing the, kind of playing the old Harrison Barnes role that 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 uh, that was so important in their first championship season. Um, and you know, 
that not necessarily a superstar player, but playing, you know, filling a valuable need on that roster. You know, everybody's getting older. Those core players are in their 30s. Curry, Thompson, Green. But you know what? They still got it done this year. Just an amazing story that they were able to get it done. Can they do it again next year? I don't know. I don't know if they can or not, but they are installed as the favorites next year. Timberwolves, um, long odds, 60-1. to They're kind of in this cluster of teams right in the middle right now. Um, and you can see Caesar Sportsbook put out uh, the kind of the, the preliminary odds, and you can kind of see they draw a pretty hard line. <clears throat> you get you got about you know eight eight to ten teams that uh, that have you know odds ranging from five to one to twenty two to one. There's Golden State, Brooklyn, Boston, the Milwaukee Bucks, Phoenix Suns, Clippers, Heat, 76ers, Grizzlies, Mavericks, Nuggets, Lakers, and then you go all the way down to fifty to one for Utah, and then you get to 60-1 to for the Bulls, Pelicans, Hawks, Wolves, and Raptors. That feels about right, but that should tell you a little bit about where the Wolves are on their journey, at least as they, you know, if you think about these as kind of an unofficial Las Vegas power rankings, Wolves are nowhere near where they would want to be as far as a true contender yet. That's not how people are seeing them yet, and I think that's fair. I don't think they are a true contender yet. I think we still have a lot to learn about this year's team. I think there is the possibility of a slight regression next season when the West gets better, when we don't know what's going to happen with D'Angelo Russell. I think Tim Connolly hinted at that even a little bit in his introductory news conference about sometimes you got to take the long view. Sometimes you might, you know, you might, you might, success isn't linear, I believe was the exact quote. Success might not be linear for this team next year. So think about that a little bit as you think about the context of where this team is headed. This, you know, 2022-23 might not be the year that they truly arrive as a contender, but they need to keep that momentum going if they are going to get there eventually. Let's finish with the cooler. World Cup sites have been picked for the 2026 World Cup in North America. 11 U.S. cities getting uh, those matches will be in... um, New York, New Jersey, L.A., Dallas, San Francisco, Miami, Atlanta, Seattle, Houston, Philadelphia, Kansas City, and Boston. Obviously, Minnesota doesn't really have quite the uh, quite the pull there. Most of these are outdoor stadiums, a lot of grass fields, stuff like that. We just don't have the kind of giant grass field that that a lot of these stadiums would have. Um, you know, outdoor especially, we just don't have that size of a field to host a world cup match so there you have it those are the world cup cities um rose bowl not picked um la gets a sofi stadium the new la uh, la stadium gets the gets the game rose bowl of course was the site of the 1994 world cup final the last time the world cup was here so interesting that'll be a fun fun world cup closest to um closest to Minneapolis looks like there's not a ton that are super close but I'd say Kansas City I guess would be the closest one nothing in Chicago but Kansas City about about a six seven hour drive about the same as Chicago so if you are looking to go to a World Cup match and that is probably the closest you are going to get if you live here in Minnesota that will do it for today like I said should be a good slate of shows coming up next week enjoy the weekend and we'll be back at it again on Monday